0: Thanks, Justin. Good to see everyone tonight. Um, We begin a new series this evening on the Apostles' Creed. Now, that is not something that uh, Pentecostal churches usually line up for to, to hear, and it's because we don't understand the creeds. I got a text from somebody I, I know it was just a typo, but I thought maybe I should have announced it that way. Uh, they said I am so looking forward to your study uh, on Apollo Creed, and uh, if you're a Rocky fan, you know that uh, that might have given getting us uh, given us a little more incentive. But um, we we're gonna with the help of the Lord, we're gonna spend six Wednesday nights talking about. Um, well, tonight, what are the creeds and why are the creeds important? And, and in particular about the Apostles' Creed, um, when we read it, we have a tendency, Protestants tend to be like this a little bit. Pentecostal people and Charismatic people really tend to be like this a lot. And we have buzzwords. We say things like, no creed but Jesus. Um, you know, no doctrine but the cross. And um, I think we need to understand that uh, exactly what the creeds are. Um, there are. There are dozens of creeds. We'll talk about that. There are five major creeds um, that you probably have heard of the Nicene Creed and others. But the Apostles' Creed is, is the first one. And it was not written by the apostles, but it was written by people a generation away from the apostles that understood their teaching and tried to connect the church back to these things. So let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to help us this evening. Father, thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for teaching us about truth and grace and the importance of what we believe. It does make a difference what we believe. And uh, we ask you to help us to understand that as we equip ourselves to embrace the faith that was, as the scripture says, once and for all delivered to the saints. Help us to become very intentional about this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin, for, um, uh, can you move that clock over just a little bit so I can, that's perfect. Thank you. And uh, tonight we'll go with that one instead of my watch, but I think we're going to be okay. If you were here last week, I was, I was enjoying it so much and I kept thinking I have so much time, but my clock had stopped, my watch had stopped. So, we, I, won't, I won't fall into that trap tonight. Now, when we study the Apostles' Creed, we're going to find out that there were five basic areas of doctrine. We're going to talk, and it, this will start next week, this part, The first part of the creed deals with the God that we serve. Then the second part of the creed deals with the Messiah that He sent. The third part of the creed um, has to do with the Spirit that He has poured out. The fourth part of the creed has to do with, um, uh, what was the word that I used? Uh, the, The future that He has promised um, uh, or, or no, no, the church that He has built and then the future that He has promised. So, these are very important concepts. Now, let me say this about the creeds, let me say that, let me stay in order. Um, I want to give uh, what I believe is a prophetic word tonight. Um, I have said for years that the Lord has showed me that it would look like the church was losing before we realize the church is winning. We said that uh, in the church world we need to understand that many churches may get smaller before they get larger. And we don't want to misread that. We don't want to misunderstand what's behind that. Um, uh, Just like a mighty uh, uh, tsunami, the water withdraws before it comes in. Sometimes when God is setting Himself to do good things, it appears that what we call the things of God are withdrawing, but they're only being gathered and they're going to come forth in power. Now, um, I, I believe that if I'm hearing the Lord correctly, um, we will see difficult times. We've talked about this for a long time. I was telling someone before service tonight that I believe that the times before us are difficult to the point that we will be amazed at, at uh, three things we will be amazed, number one, at the hatred that can be generated toward the people of God. I know this isn't making it any better. You know, First he's talking about creeds, now he's talking about this. Um, we'll be amazed at the hatred that is un- unreasonable, that is focused on the children of God. N- number, number two, we're going to be amazed at um, uh, how how... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How deceived that those who have rejected Christ will become. But we will also be amazed at how the Spirit of God is pouring out as never before. I said it when we first started talking about uh, the long emergency years ago. Whenever all of this comes to pass, it will be the best years of the church. It will be the best years of the church, even though it will be a tough ride in society. This is something that I believe the Lord has put in my heart. And when tough times come, we need to understand that some people's faith will be shaken. But we also need to understand that at the same time, some people's faith is shaken by the initial whatever happens, happens. We need to understand that God will so respond that it's not just faith that will be shaken, it's unbelief that will be shaken. And God will show himself mighty to save. And and, uh, uh, we're we're seeing that it's almost as though the veil between dimensions is getting thinner and thinner. And uh, we're going to begin to see more of what is going on in the spiritual realm, I think, than we've ever seen before. So this is a time to be encouraged. But one of the things that God is going to do, I believe this thing called the remnant, God is going to strengthen the remnant beyond our wildest expectations. And that's why we need to begin now to re-educate ourselves and to re-arm ourselves. I'm not talking about going out and buying guns. I'm talking about re-arming ourselves with our spiritual weapons. Because Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual and mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds the best thing we can do to prepare for whatever is ahead is to prepare spiritually and one of the ways we need to do that and there're several ways we're 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 in the year you know we're talking about building godly generations and beginning not this sunday but the next sunday the first sunday in february we talk about the first of those 10 foundation words and we're going to talk about ten foundation words that God has given us over the course of the year. But um, one of the things that we need to do is to rearm ourselves and to and to and to get back that which has been lost. And that's where creeds come in. Creeds are not given to replace the Scripture. Creeds do not uh, supersede the Scripture. There are some churches that believe that things like creeds or Church decisions or dogma become equal with scripture. We don't believe that. We believe uh, uh, sola scriptura. We believe that it's the scriptures only that form the foundation of our faith. But we, are, we have got to learn some things, I think, and especially in Pentecostal circles. It does make a difference what you believe. And doctrine does make a difference. And we watch videos where guys and gals say, well, I'm I'm not into religion, I'm just into Jesus. And that sounds wonderful, and it's a cute, trite little phrase, but it's a recipe for disaster because doctrine, let, let me tell you what doctrine is. Doctrine is what the church believes, what the church teaches, and what the church confesses as it comes from the Word of God. Doctrine is not a dirty word. It's a positive thing. And so that's why we do little things like pray the Lord's Prayer together. We want to recover our language. We want to recover our vocabulary. And one of the reasons that we're spending these six weeks on the Apostles' Creed is to understand not just what it says, but why it's important for us to understand what we believe. Um, Oh, there's so many I've got to stay on track here. Let's begin by reading the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I'm going to read it in one of the older versions. Um, what you got on a card a couple of weeks ago was a modern translation. And that's what we're going to go with in our study. But I wanted to read the, uh, uh, one of the older translations of it to begin with. Um, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. We're going to find that an interesting study. Uh, Some churches believe that means he went to hell. And that's what was talked about when it says he preached to the spirits in prison. Um, Others believe that it simply means that he went to the grave. He died. And uh, he wasn't just, he didn't just swoon on the cross and then recover when he was taken down. He literally died. He went to the place of the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which means universal, um, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's talk about these, uh, uh, these creeds. Um, I, I'm just so torn which way to approach this. Uh, let's, let's, let's stick with the outline and then I'll, I'll, if I have time, I'll approach this from the other perspective. What are the characteristics of the creeds? Letter A or number 1, they are rooted in the teaching of the Apostles, which is biblical in its source. That is why it is called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles did not write it, but this was the generation after the Apostles, no more than two generations after the Apostles. They wanted to consolidate what the Apostles said. They had Scripture, um, that was not the issue, but they wanted to have a systematic teaching. It contains essential Christian doctrines and beliefs. One person said it this way, um, all Christians can believe more than is in the apostles' creed, but none can believe less. That's how important this creed is. Um, The elements of the creeds contain the foundation of our faith and creeds can connect us with our past roots and anchor us as we move into our future. Now, number five or letter E is very important for us to understand. It is important to understand that creeds flow from scripture. They are not equal with scripture, nor do they add to or replace scripture. The next statement is equally important. Creeds did not produce doctrine. They affirmed doctrine. Now, you say, what do you mean? They didn't produce doctrine, they affirm doctrine. Um, when you read books like the Da Vinci Code or you read liberal theological works, um, you will read phrases like this. Jesus would be appalled at what the church taught about him. Um, one uh, well-known Bible professor said, Jesus never envisioned being called God. The church did that at the Council of Nicaea 300 years later. That's what liberal theology does uh, because it does not understand the message of Scripture and it denies the authority of Scripture and its place in our lives. You read the Gospels with any kind of fair reading and you understand that's why Jesus was always in trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he made himself equal with God. He claimed to be God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about God, the mighty God, who purchased the church with his own blood. There's, there's no way you can, you can come up with some of the ideas like uh, um, Dan Brown and some of the other writers, writers come up with because they think that our belief was not a doctrine until the creeds. In other words, they would say uh, in the 300s, the church decided that Jesus was divine. Let me tell you where the creeds came from. We had the scripture. We had the faith that, as the scripture says, was once and for all delivered to the saints. But increasingly, there came up false teachers and false doctrine. And the church began to meet And produce creeds, not to come up with doctrine, but to say, we want to systematize what the scripture teaches. We want to believe uh, the same thing. We want to be sure that you understand what it means to be a Christian, whether you live in Asia Minor or North Africa. Um, it's the same thing with the list of, of uh, books of, Bi- of the Bible, the canon of Scripture. Um, a, a person that doesn't understand the process says, oh, well, they didn't determine what was you know, in the Bible for hundreds of years. No, that's not true. It was from the very beginning; it was understood what was in Scripture. But there became to, uh, the church came to such controversy and division from false teachers that they said we're going to we're going to write a common document so that you can know the books that are of God. Uh, in that we categorize as scripture and you can know the books that aren't scripture, but they might be good books. And you might know the books that are rejected out of hand, just totally rejected. There were a handful that were regarded very highly like uh, the, the, the book of, um, of, uh, of Enoch. It was regarded very highly, but it was never recognized as divinely inspired con- con- can contain the truth. Um, some churches have what we call the uh, uh, um, the Apocrypha, the books of the Bible. If you go through and look at a Bible you might see something between Malachi and Matthew. It is the Apocrypha. We believe those are great books in, in our church. We believe they are wonderful books, they are great historical books, but we don't believe they bear the mark of scriptural authority. So, we don't include them in our Bible, though some Christians do. Um, so you've got to understand, the church is not a history of the people of God making up things as they went along. The creeds are not that at all. They, are, they were the people of God saying, look, there are some people teaching things that we do not embrace. So we're going to write these creeds as a document and say, this is what we believe. It's rooted in the scripture. And that's where these creeds, uh, where the creeds came from. Um, the second part of your outline is the story of the Apostles' Creed. Um, it was the earliest of five major creeds dating back to about 180 A.D. Now, scholarship for generations thought it had to be probably a couple of hundred years later. But um, I, I won't bore you with all of that, but it's it's been pretty Pretty well accepted that it comes from about 150 to 180. The last Apostle John died in about uh, AD 95 to 100. So, like we say it is a generation or or two from the lives of the Apostles. It was influenced by people that knew them directly. Um, Let's trace this a little bit through the Scripture. Um, And by the way, for those of you that may not know much about the origin of the Bible, the first book of the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament comes to us in about 45 AD. Um, uh, It's uh, Galatians And it comes to us in about 45 AD. And um, we probably have the Gospel of Matthew from about that same period, maybe a half dozen years later. But the rest of the New Testament, with the exception of um, the the epistles of John and certainly the book of Revelation, the rest of them came into being from about AD 50 to about AD 65. So, they are all condensed in that time period. Space right there. Right there, John uh, wrote his. As far as we can tell, in the mid nineties, there are some that believe he wrote earlier, and the reasons they have is because they don't believe John could could predict prophecy that well. Uh, you know, it had to be based on something else. But uh, so so by about A.D. ninety five, the New Testament canon is complete. Um, we, we had a collection of teachings that circulated in the church in addition to the Scripture um, that were called Faithful Sayings. Paul refers to some of these faithful sayings such as Jesus is Lord. Um, you'll read through the New Testament and you'll find places where Paul says, it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance or full ac- acceptation, f- worthy of everybody embracing this. There was this body of faithful sayings and they were basically pre Uh, creed, creeds, pre-New Testament uh, creeds. In other words, these were formulas. These were doctrines that could be taught in a catechism that the church um, clung to and held to. And so we begin with this collection of faithful sayings. You had the scripture, and then you had faithful sayings. The faithful sayings were primarily developed for believers with a non-Jewish background that didn't have the, the scriptural background that the Jewish believers had. Then um, as early as 60 or 70, possibly a little bit later, you have what's called the Didache, the Didache. It's a collection of teachings circulated um, from AD 60 or 70 or just a little bit later. It was a collection of uh, not only Procedures, how to do this, how a church should be administered, how to serve the Lord's table, but also teachings. There were some very practical things, like they said, if, in a, if a, a, a prophet or an apostle comes through and wants to preach to your church, uh, it's a good rule not to have him more than three days or he'll start to just milk the people for all that they have, you know. So, I mean, we, we might not say that. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't tell the Word, Spirit, and Power team, well, we can only have service through Wednesday, then you've got to go. But that was, and that wasn't considered the law of God. That was a guideline. That was a guideline for the churches because there were those that would come in the name of the Lord and stay and, and outlive their welcome and outlive their usefulness uh, because they wanted to live off of the church. And so, there were all kinds of things. This is the way to do church. This is the way to do baptism. This is the way to do the Lord's Supper. But there were also some of these faithful sayings that were included uh, in the Didache. Now, the creeds come as crisis emerges. Whenever there became controversy over what the Bible taught, the response of the church was to call the bishops and elders together and let's formulate a creed so that we're all saying the same thing. We know the scripture, we know the faithful sayings, but every one of us needs to know these are our views on these positions. And the Apostles' Creed was used as an evangelistic tool, especially to those of non-Jewish background It was such a part of the Christian faith that with time, believers were required to go through catechism before being baptized. Now, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's church history. In the book of Acts, you have people being converted and baptized at the same time. But by the time you get to... um, the beginning or the end of the second century, the beginning of the third century, there were people being saved from so many backgrounds. See, if a person was raised in Judaism, they understood Messiah. They understood the scriptures. To them, the, the message of the gospel was a completion of what they had been raised in all their life. But the more Gentile the church became in its origin. Now, this isn't a, this isn't a hard rule because there were, there were Gentiles that were baptized upon conversion. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was, he was not a Jew, but he was a student of Scripture. But as people got more and more removed from a, a theological upbringing... They accepted the message of the gospel, but needed to be taught. So by the time you get to the end of the second century, beginning of the third century, you had people going through a catechism and there was in many places, not every place, but in many places there was one mass baptism a year, uh, usually associated with Easter. And, uh, but, the, but leading up to their baptism, they were taught Things that were in the creeds, things that were in the Didache, the faithful sayings, and the Word of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that it happened. That it happened. Um, and we do know this: for the first, um, well, not the first 300 years, but f- from from f- from the mid second century, for a couple of hundred years, the Apostles' Creed was a formula that. If you were to be baptized and you were to become part of a church, you embrace the Apostles' Creed. Okay? So that's why it was so important. Um, Which leads us to number three. Why is it so important? One writer put it this way I learned to believe in God the Father, who hath made me and all the world. Secondly, in God the Son, who hath redeemed me and all mankind. Thirdly, in God the Holy Spirit who hath sanctified me and all the elect people of God." Now, you say, Pastor, why is it so important for us? Um, Loved ones at the risk of sounding judgmental, I don't mean to, but I think the fabric of the American church has been lost. We are in an increasingly post-Christian American culture. Now, I'm not saying that God's not moving in America. I'm not saying there aren't wonderful churches. But I am saying this, we are no longer a culture that is permeated with Christian doctrine. And we were, in spite of what revisionist historians want to tell us. I'm not saying that we were always, you know, or or that we were ever a nation where everybody was saved. But there was a time during the American Revolution, for instance, it's pretty well confirmed that 60 to 70% of all Americans... Didn't just consider themselves Christians, but sixty to seventy percent of all Americans were in church every Sunday. Now, if we return to those numbers now, we we couldn't house the people that would be following the Lord. Um, and it was in that culture. Did we have problems? Oh, absolutely, we had problems. Did we have sins we didn't deal with? Absolutely. But the culture of early America was steeped in the Judeo-Christian ethic to the point that even people who were not believers understood the ethic and lived by it. Benjamin Franklin's a good example. I find no reason, I, I, I sincerely hope I'm wrong, but I find no reason to think that he ever gave his heart to the Lord. But Benjamin Franklin knew more scripture than a lot of pastors. And he understood the culture of America. And that's why Benjamin Franklin spoke so much about God and the scriptures even though he was not a what we would call uh, he wouldn't qualify for church membership. You know, too many girlfriends, too much going on in his life. But he was embracing of a culture that had its roots in the judeo-christian ethic. And that's why when you take a tour of Washington, if you take a real tour of Washington, you find the Ten Commandments everywhere, you find Moses everywhere, you find images of Christ everywhere, because that was our culture. Um, So, you think about an America where 70% went to church on Sunday, and a significant portion of the 30% that didn't, wasn't because they didn't believe, but because they were under the ministry of like the Methodist circuit riders, where there was no church to go to. They just had a meeting generally once every four to six weeks. So you've got to understand, we were formed in a culture where well over three quarters of our people were either Christian or so familiar with Christianity that it shaped the way they thought. Um, if If you go back to the newspapers, of the 1700s and the 1800s, you find that the biggest news every Monday and Tuesday was the printing of the sermons that were preached in churches the, the, the previous Sunday. If you read articles from newspaper, I'm talking about, um, I, I have a, a book of, somebody gave me of um, front page newspaper articles from the Civil War. And when you read those articles, you find this, I would, I would venture 80% of the time, you find the stories written in such a way that if you weren't familiar with scripture, you wouldn't even understand the story. You know, um, uh, I, I, the other day, I, you know, I said uh, to somebody, I said, a meeting went long. I said, I'm going to have to drive like Jehu to get uh, to the next meeting. And the whole group looked at me like, and one of them asked if Jehu was a NASCAR driver. I mean, really? They honestly asked, "Is he a NASCAR driver?" And, and but you see, I come from a culture where whether you were a Christian or not, you understood that King Jehu was noted for driving furiously. That's how they could tell it was him coming. He drove crazy. But and I'm not saying that we're a virtuous country if we know who Jehu is. What I'm trying to say is that's the way newspaper articles were. Um, They they were loaded with scriptural references and scriptural language. And um, I didn't mean to stay so long on that. But we are becoming increasingly post-Christian America. Now, I also got to say this. I believe that we, we are, and I'm not talking about our kids and our SESL kids. Praise God, they are the exception to the rule. But I'm talking about culture in general. But I will say this, even though we are in post-Christian America, I sincerely believe with all my heart that we are about to see this thing turned around. Uh, I don't know if I believed that five years ago. I hoped for it five years ago. I prayed for it five years ago. But in the last five years, I've begun to see things and I believe that God is going to resurrect our culture out of the remnant church. And that's why I say things will happen if we let it, it will shake our faith. But God is going to show himself so strong and mighty that it's not our faith that will be shaken, it's the unbelief that will be shaken as we see God begin to work in great power. The, the Apostles' Creed is important because it teaches about the Trinity. It speaks of God as the loving creator. And when we get to the next lesson, next Wednesday night, when we talk about the God whom we serve, I don't think we understand how important it is to believe that God is the creator. I don't, I, I, that is foundational to our faith, that God is creator and that we are not a product of evolution. Uh, that, that is so foundational. I would venture to say this, if you don't believe that God is the creator, it's a matter of time before your faith begins to crumble because you've ignored some of the foundation of it. I don't mean you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you're going to have to come to grips with that one day, um, sooner, probably, probably rather than later. God is, the, the, the loving creator. It embraces the incarnation and, um, I'll talk about that in a minute if I have time. It embraces the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It embraces the teaching of the universal church. And don't let the Apostles' Creed scare you. That's what the word Catholic means. This was written long before what we know as the Catholic Church had ever come into existence. I mean, that's from a Protestant's point of view. I don't mean to be insulting to any of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church. But uh, long before the idea of what we call the Catholic Church had come into existence, this phrase was used to mean the universal church. Um, It deals with the requirement of the forgiveness of sins. It points ahead to our eternal hope associated with Christ's return. And um, here's a a quote from J.I. Packer. Um, He says, In this present age in which we're living, He says, a truncated version of the gospel message presenting Christ the Redeemer apart from God the Creator, and the remission of sins apart from personal regeneration, and individual salvation apart from life and worship in the church, and the hope of heaven apart from the pilgrim path of holiness, which is what in practice the ABC approach does, becomes a misrepresentation one that sows the seed of many pastoral problems down the road. What J.I. Packer was saying was was this. He says, it's not enough to just believe in God. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. Your faith has to be rooted in something. Um, One writer put it this way. Uh, He said, um, we need to understand the power of what it means to believe. Um, in other words, I think the example he used, if I'm remembering correctly, he said, you can say things like, I believe in UFOs and, and um, uh, I believe in democracy. And he said, what you might be saying is, I believe that UFOs exist, but you never go look for one. Uh, I believe in democracy. You might be saying, I believe that the democratic process is the best way to run a government, but you never vote. He said, it's a faulty view to think that belief, and this is what the the creed deals with. It's a faulty thing to think that belief means I have an intellectual agreement with something. The word that is the New Testament word, even sometimes translated belief, is the word faith. And it has to do with the idea of trustful commitment and reliance. To, it's not just an intellectual assent, but it is a commitment to a truth. We don't just believe; we believe in something. We believe the the word that's translated faith is most often translated accurately. Believe into. You believe into. You trust it. You rely on it. And uh, as I said, I think we're about to see this this uh, misconception turn around. Um, I do want to say one thing because it's, it's huge right now on the internet. The idea that um, people want a doctrine-less faith. Um, Church growth specialists in the nineties said the trend for every growing church is that they don't emphasize doctrine and I thought, my God, I hope that's not true. I I hope they were saying that they don't emphasize denominations, but if they don't emphasize doctrine, they've got problems because doctrine, as I said earlier, is what the church believes, what the church teaches, what the church confesses on the basis of the word of God. Now that's where we want to wrap it up tonight. It does make a difference what you believe. And I I hope I haven't bored you with this long introduction before we get into these points. Um, we are in a quest to be counter-cultural while at the same time we want to influence the culture with a Christian worldview. Um, I think the church growth movement has missed it, and I, and I was a part of that for a long time. But I think we have mistakenly thought that in order to build a church, we've got to be culturally relevant. And that word relevant has almost become an idol in church growth movement today. It is not our responsibility to become relevant. It is our responsibility to proclaim truth. Now you can put, you know, it's like I was teaching the other day, You you can take the picture and put all kinds of frames around the picture, but the picture has to remain the same. You can take a picture and put one kind of frame on it and it fits in a formal dining room. You can put another frame on it and it'll fit in a family room. You can put another frame on it and it'll go in your bedroom. Another frame, it'll match the hallway. I suppose if you look hard enough, you can find a frame where it'll even go in the bathroom. But what matters is not the frame we put it in. What matters is that the picture remains the same. And that's why I say that I think churches are making a mistake um, in trying to be so relevant that they change the picture. I, I don't think we need to use, you know, music by Bruce Springsteen to, to start our worship time. I don't think we need to abandon the language of scripture. In 1966 in April, um, and I think it was Time Magazine, there was a famous cover that said, is God dead? And the writer of that article said, uh, most theologians today believe that God has died or never existed in the first place. And he said, if the church is going to survive, it has to start using different words, a different message, A different terminology. Next week I'm going to share some of the names that have been given to replace Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You won't believe some of them. But I would simply say to that article, uh, and, and, and God has a tendency, whenever a movement against him rises, he tends to push back with his own movement. And right in the middle of his God dead, we saw the the Jesus people movement. We saw the charismatic renewal. And before long, um, people that said, you can't even be saved if you speak in tongues, were speaking in tongues themselves. God did such a phenomenal work. There was a a teacher at a uh, university that um, gave advice to Billy Graham when he was just a seminary student. He said, Mr. Graham, you have potential, you have a lot of passion, and if you play your cards right, you might have a successful ministry. He said, but please let me give you some advice. Every time you preach in class, all you talk about is the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. He said, we are past that age in our evolution of the human race. Don't talk about the blood. Find another word to use. Find another topic to use. And you may just end up being a success. And Billy Graham said, I realized what was going on, he said. And as a student, I purposed in my heart at that moment that I would preach on the blood more than I had ever preached on the blood. And I would say, I'd say God made him fairly successful, and, he, and Billy Graham, before he died, said, it goes back to that moment where I decided that God's Word in its form that it was given to us is what I would preach. It doesn't need changing. What was Billy Graham saying? He said, you can change the frame, but don't change the picture. That's what the creeds are about. Now, um, one more thing, and, and, and then we'll be through. I've only got about six minutes before we need to be, go, uh, be done. Proverbs 29, 18, and I know I've said this before, but it's important that I say it one more time as we go into the study of the creed. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine sixteen says, where there is no vision, and that word is translated revelation, or um, 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 another um, idea was a statement from God. Where there is no vision, or where there is no revel- revelation, the people are unrestrained. King James says the people perish. The second part of that verse says, but happy is he who keeps the law. So there's, there's a juxtaposition. There's two differing views. This is one way of living life, rejecting the revelation of God or living as though it wasn't real. And you can live that way, but you will perish. You'll be unrestrained or you can keep the law of God and be fulfilled. That's what the word happy means. We Christians need to reclaim this basic foundational truth. Now, I know it's not an issue in our church and churches like ours, but guys, we've got to remember, we're not a typical church. And I mean that in the best possible way. We are not a typical church. If, if the statistics are accurate, over 60% of churches in America do not believe that the Scripture is the Word of God. They believe that the Scripture contains flashes of brilliance here and there. But we're in a minority. And to believe that every word is inspired, to believe that it's protected from error, we're in a, we're in a slice of the pie that covers about 18 to 20%. And this is what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, if you want to live that way, you can, but it'll result in unrestrained lives. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your purpose. You have to be able to say, I will live by the revelation of God. So the battle, the battle in the days to come is not over denominational ties. It's not over... Any number of things, it boils down to this. It boils down to what do we do with the Word of God? Uh, you know, Psalm 1 puts it this way Blessed is the man that does not walk, stand, or sit in the way of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like the tree planted by the rivers of water that continues to be green, continues to bear fruit and everything that he does prospers. There's really only two kinds of people in the world. And it's not Democrat, and Republican. It's not communist and capitalist. Uh, and what about Bob? It's not even those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. There's two kinds of people in the world. Those that honor the Word of God as the commanding force in their life and those who don't. Father, as we... As we Lord, I know this is new territory for a lot of people. Uh, I, I, don't know that, I don't know that I've ever taught on the Apostles' Creed except maybe in the classroom. I, I don't know that many of us have ever heard a series on the Apostles' Creed. But Father, I think you're stretching us. I think you're wanting to bring us back to some basics. I think you're wanting to put five strong pillars of belief in our lives about our Father, about our Savior, about our sanctifier, about our church and fellowship, and about our future in you. So, Lord, I pray that the Apostles' Creed would come alive. Not that we're replacing Scripture, but we're systematizing it. And we pray your blessing to be on us. If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Savior, we're going to be dismissed in, in less than 60 seconds. But while others leave or fellowship, if you'd find your way down to me or Justin... We'd love to pray with you and let you know how you can be sure that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. Be with us, Father. Bless us as we get back into the routine of our Bible studies and uh, bless our other auxiliary ministries, our youth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be praying for this this Sunday and uh, we're going to have a great day. God bless you.